Hello again, everybody. I'm back again. Been away for a week or so. Uh, yeah, this is Anthony Harris. This is uh, your host for Looking Back and Moving Forward. I am so glad you could tune in today. I have some things that I want to um, share with you, some of my thoughts, some of my commentary, and maybe even some of uh, a few rants that I have about what's going on in our country today, what's going on here in the state of Texas. And I'm sure some really uh, bizarre things are going on in whatever part of the country you're in. But before I do that, I just want to shout out to my big brother, James Jr., who is celebrating a milestone birthday in a couple of days. And I just want to wish him a super, super happy, happy, happy birthday uh, for this milestone. You, you are a blessing to so many as a brother and a father. And know that we all love you and we, we're just uh, so glad to have you in our lives. So, uh, again, happy birthday. Uh, today, again, some things that I want to uh, talk about. Uh, I'll start with uh, what's been in the news and what is probably still fresh on the minds of many people in this country, and that is there were three trials held in this country recently, uh, all dealing with race, dealing with racism, dealing with white supremacy, vigilantism. All of those things were a common thread among those three trials. And I'm going to talk a little bit about each of them and try to connect the dots here if I can. Beginning with the Cal Rittenhouse uh, murder trial. And as we know, and as I predicted, um, he would be acquitted. He, he was acquitted on all charges. And in, in part because uh, the judge, uh, it was one reason I think that judge had his thumb on the, on the scale and uh, did everything he could to advance and, and advantage the defense in this case. You remember he, he said he would not allow those who were victims of the shootings to be called victims. Yet he would allow the defense to refer to those individuals who lost their lives as looters and criminals. So there was a little bit of a bias built in on his part from the very beginning. You know, it was just one of those things where I think he he just, for whatever reason, I don't know whether he thought that the case should not have been brought, he didn't have time for it, or if his political views were such that he kind of sided with uh, Rittenhouse and those others who, right-wingers who supported Rittenhouse. And I think another telltale sign about this man's um, impartiality or lack thereof, it, and there was one point in the trial when his phone went off, his cell phone rang. And it, the, the tune to the ring, the ringtone tune, uh, was uh, a theme song that uh, Donald Trump used at his rallies. And, you know, I just, it, it's not hard to connect the dots here. I mean, it could have been something else, but in my mind, there was certainly a level of empathy and sympathy and support for Rittenhouse based on this man's politics, and unfortunately, he um, he was found innocent. Again, uh, here's a guy, 17 years old. He goes to another state. He's from Illinois. He ends up going to Wisconsin. He gets a gun while he's there, not just any kind of gun, but he has an AR-15, an automatic rifle, and automatic rifles, I'm not an expert on guns, but I'm pretty sure uh, I'm, I think it's safe to say that automatic rifles were not developed or not invented to 
just target shoot or shoot animals. It's designed to kill people. And, and that's exactly what he did. He went there on the pretense that he was going to protect property. He was in a specific business that he said he was going there to protect. Well, the owner of that business testified that he, he did not authorize Cal um, Rittenhouse to, to come and, and protect his place. He thought he didn't, he really didn't think he needed any help from Rittenhouse or anybody else. And then Rittenhouse lied again and said he was there to provide emergency services as an EMT. As it turns out, he knows nothing about being an EMT. So he kept lying through the whole process. Now, if you remember, even before he went to trial, he became a, uh, what I would just call a, a poster boy for the right-wing uh, vigilante group. And he, he was able to raise $2 million for his bail because, and these were mainly from those MAGA heads and right-wing extremist groups, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, all of those right-wing groups and others who are not affiliated with those groups but yet support their ideology. They put, uh, they, they sent money, you know, checks, cash, credit cards, debit cards, whatever they could, to, to let, let this young boy know that they had his back, they supported him. And, but he, despite all that, he still needed to go to trial. But it, it showed the level of support that this guy had even before the trial started, even before the facts of the case came out. He enjoyed a great deal of celebrity and, and, and support from all of these white wing, right wing groups. And some people say, well, you know, he wasn't, you can't say this was an act of white supremacy because the victims were white. And that's a that's a really a false argument because white supremacists have known to kill other whites. Uh, Reminds you of Viola um, Liuzzo in Mississippi, um, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner. They were white people killed by white people. So to claim that uh, because the victim uh, victims in this case were not black, therefore. It was not an act of white supremacy. Oh, yes, it was an act of white supremacy because the victims, um, because those people were there as a part of a protest involving um, the death, not the death, but the shooting of this young black man. And some claim to be affiliated with the Black Lives Matter movement, whether they were or not, I don't know. But that's irrelevant. Uh, the fact that you come to this town, get your hands on a gun, and you go out and you, you shoot people. And you, the police see you walking down the street with this gun. And they don't even bother to stop you. They don't bother to ask you, why are you walking down the street with, a, with an automatic rifle? And more than anything else, this is a, um, an example of white privilege. If anybody is unfamiliar with that term, white privilege, and don't believe that it exists, I want you to think about Rittenhouse. I also want you to think about had this been a young black man, 17-year-old black man who came from Illinois and, and went to Wisconsin, and he ended up shooting three people, killing two of them, walking down the street with an AR-15 strapped to his shoulder. How many of you think, really think, that the police wouldn't have stopped him? The police probably, do you think the police wouldn't have shot him? Do you think he would not have been arrested? Yes, he would have. Any of those things could have. Could have happened had it had this been a black guy 
And the fact that it was a white guy who did this, uh, and, and again, shows you the, the level of white privilege that exists in this country. So um, Rittenhouse was privileged by his, his skin color, his race, and it was an advantage for him when he walked into that courtroom, when he walked down the street, when he pulled that gun on those guys, his white status, his status as a white person in this country gave him an advantage. Uh, he was able to go to court with millions of dollars of, of, of money behind him. Um, most black defendants aren't going to have that, that level of, of financial support when they, go to, when they go to court. So there's just so many examples there. And that's just another example of, of the white privilege thing. Now, as you probably also know, after the, the uh, trial, Donald Trump invited the young man down to Mar-a-Lago to, I guess, to have a celebratory you know, meeting or dinner or whatever they, the occasion was. And he, you know, Trump just kind of saluted the young man and, and just gave him a thumbs up, gave him a wink, wink. Yeah, you did good. You killed some people. That's good. You're a celebrity. You're a hero. And, and, and think about the fact that some family members lost their loved one. Two people were killed. They lost their lives. And, and this guy's going to go around the country, go on Fox News, Tucker Carlson, go to Mar-a-Lago, taking a victory dance. How inhumane do you have to be after you have taken the lives of some people? And then you're going to go celebrate it. Well, he said it was self-defense, but you know that's that's arguable. Um, it could have been a theory is that he's walking down the street, and, and these people who confronted him thought he was an active shooter, so they were going to try to disarm him. And as he approached them, he ends up shooting them, and they claim self-defense. Well, I just think that's the one of the weaknesses in our justice system in this country. Because again, if there was a young black man with a gun who went to a a, a Donald Trump rally and ended up shooting three people, killing two of them, I guarantee you that the outcome would not have been what it was for this young man. And after the other trial, and I'm going to talk about that one in just a moment, the, the, the gentleman who murdered Ahmaud Arbery often wondered, had those guys been acquitted, would Donald Trump have invited them to Mar-a-Lago for a victory celebration meeting or dinner, I would say yes, he probably would have. Not probably, I think he would have because that's just the kind of person he is. He's a he's a white supremacist and these guys who killed Ahmaud Arbery were white supremacists. So I have no doubt that's what he would have, what he would have done. So let's talk about the Ahmaud Arbery case. That, that was the second of the three trials that were going on um, nearly the same time. And thank goodness um, the verdict came out the way it should have come out. Um, I call that an act of accountability, not necessarily an act of justice. Even though justice was served, I think about all the times when justice was not served. I think about all those black men who lost their lives down through history, Emmett Till and, and others who, who've never received justice. So this is an act of accountability. These guys were held accountable for what they did, but let's not get so over, overwhelmed by this and think that we've somehow turned the corner on, on racism in the justice system. No, um, that's not about to happen. We know what happened after George Floyd's uh, death and the conviction of uh, Derek Chauvin. 
the incidents of police attacking and shooting black people, it didn't stop. So people thought, okay, we've turned a corner on this thing and we can, we can go back to doing something else and all of this stuff is behind us. No, that's not the case. Well, anyway, Travis McMichael was his son. He's the one who actually pulled the trigger. In his claim of self-defense, he said he was just trying to protect himself. Well, if you look at the video, this guy pulls a gun on Aubrey. And if you see somebody with a gun about to shoot you, you're going to charge them. You're going to do whatever you can to disarm that person. That's self-defense right there because you, you are threatened. Your life is being threatened. And, of course, the defense claimed that... Um, Travis McMichael was just trying to defend himself. Even though McMichael came out in his direct testimony and in the trial, um, that Arbery wasn't doing anything. He wasn't resisting. I mean, he had no right to even ask Arbery to stop. He ordered him to stop. He pulls his pickup truck next to Ahmad and said, you know, what's going on? Why are you running? Well, he has a right to run anywhere he wants to run. And, and even after the, Ahmad did not want to be dealing with this guy, he didn't want a confrontation, so he turned around and ran back the other way. And this guy, Travis um, McMichael, he puts his truck in reverse and he, he catches up with him again. And then um, Dad comes out. Uh, he gets involved in the, in the situation. That was Gregory McMichael. And then their, their buddy, their neighbor, their neighbor, uh, Roddy, um, he gets into the he gets into the chase, and he's taking uh, video of all of this. And you know, just the how can you claim the self defense when you've created the chaos? It's kind of like in the Rittenhouse case, you have found yourself in a situation that you created, and and now you want to claim self defense in that situation. It, it just doesn't work that way. Thank goodness the jury, which was a nearly all-white jury there in uh, Brunswick, Georgia, they, um, they, they looked past all of that nonsense. And, and my, based on some comments that I've seen from conservative um, Facebook friends, uh, they were delighted with the outcome of that trial. Uh, same as they were delighted with Devin Chauvin's conviction because they could see on video what happened. They could see that these guys murdered somebody. But um, anyway, the, uh, the criminal justice system in that, in that particular case with, with these guys, these three guys, McMichael and Rhodey and um, Gregory McMichael, they received, they, they're going to be all, they were all convicted of murder. Uh, some with uh, malice murder, one, some with um, felony murder, but whatever kind of murder you want to call it, it was still murder. Ahmaud Arbery's life was taken. And um, these guys are being held accountable for that. And, and the accountability is really going to come when they um, are sentenced. Now, another layer of this trial, as you will recall, uh, where race was an underlying theme, where the defense attorney for one of these guys uh, complained that black pastors were in the courtroom. And he thought that was uh, unfair for his clients to have black pastors like uh, Jesse Jackson and uh, Al Sharpton in present in the courtroom. And they were there to, uh, to provide comfort for uh, Mrs. Arbery. But yet this, um, this attorney 
he complains and he wants these these black pastors banned from the courtroom and and thank goodness the the judge says you know I'm not gonna ban anybody from this courtroom because you want them banned they're not being disrupted they're not shouting they're not doing anything to cause any issues in this trial so uh, no I'm not going to do that and then (laughs) this lawyer just really stepped in it even more he just you know trying to tell black pastors they shouldn't be someplace well you know, a, a whole bunch of hundred something black pastors shows up. They show up at the at the courthouse, and they're outside, and um, they are there to show their support and show solidarity with with the family. And I thought that was a good thing. So um, we we had this case. Um, I think they're going to be sentenced to life. The the state, the prosecution did not seek the death penalty on them. But we will never know, will we, whether Donald Trump would have uh, celebrated their acquittal had they been acquitted as he did with, with Kyle Rittenhouse. We don't know if the QAnon and the Proud Boys and that group would have celebrated uh, their acquittal if, if it had gone in that direction. My guess is that they probably would have, because this was another example of the historical nature of racism in this country, where the dehumanization of black men and black people in general has been going on since 1619. And people don't want you to know about that. You know, school boards and politicians, they're, they're just trying to whitewash history. They don't want anybody, especially white kids, they don't want the white kids to, to know about that kind of history. And that's another rant that I have that I'll get to at another, at another time. The third case that was um, in the news was this uh, civil suit, civil case in Charlottesville, Virginia involving these right-wing extremists, these uh, white nationalists, white supremacists, who came for the um, Unite the Right, Unite the Right rally, in which a young woman was killed, and there were confrontations and some violence uh, beyond the death of of Miss Heiner. And, um, you know, somebody, again, accountability had had to be in place here, and the victims, those people who were affected and and victimized and and hurt by these these right wing groups, they filed a lawsuit against uh, these individuals and the groups that they the organizations that they represented. And uh, this was not a criminal case, of course. This was just a civil case. These guys are not going to go to jail for what they did. But a twenty six million dollar verdict and judgment was rendered by this jury, which means that you know somehow some way. <laughs> If it's an organization with any kind of assets, you know, they're going to be put out of business. They're going to have to declare bankruptcy or something. But uh, let's not think just because they they go bankrupt or have to end their organization that their ideology uh, is, is going to be, is going to go away because, you know, it's, it's, there's some symmetry there. They, their organization is bankrupt and their ideology is bankrupt. But you can get rid of the, the organization, but you can't get rid of the ideology because it's been around a long time and it will continue to be with us. But I just have to commend that jury and, and everybody who was involved in that case. I think it sends a very clear message that if you're going to go out and um, use your, um, your rhetoric and your actions to hurt people, to inflict violence on people and be proud of that, um, then you're going to be held accountable financially for that. Uh, no, the criminal justice system didn't didn't punish them. 
the civil justice system did. So we have to um, be um, satisfied, at least in that case, that, that some things happen. Shift on to something else here that was in the news. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, as many people know, is a representative in the U.S. House from um, the state of Georgia. And I think she's one of those people who was elected not to legislate, not to represent her constituency. I believe she was elected, and in her mind she was elected, to provide a, a platform for her to be um, controversial, to be uh, to spread false narratives, to conspiracy theories, and it gave her this this huge microphone and this huge platform for her to to go out and just just do stuff and say stuff. She doesn't serve on any committees. They kicked her off all of her committees back when she was claiming that you know some aliens were shooting things down and and the Jews were behind it and all us that craziness and. Kevin McCarthy showed a little backbone back then. He, he took her from, knocked her off all of her committees. So, you know, she's, um, she's and she's still angry with Kevin McCarthy. That's the thing that's, that's interesting is that uh, she was on a podcast the other night with um, Gates from, from Florida. And Marjorie Taylor Greene was saying she has no respect for Kevin McCarthy. Now, Kevin McCarthy is the Republican leader of the, Republicans in the, in the, uh, the Republican conference in the House of Representatives. And he has strong aspirations. He really wants to be the Speaker of the House because they believe that the House is going to turn back to Republicans and Kevin McCarthy will ascend to the, the role of Speaker of the House. And that's when we're going to see all kinds of Trumpian kinds of things um, begin to happen if he and the Republicans get control. Anyway, she's still angry that McCarthy took away her um, committee assignments back in not long after she was elected. And, and she thinks that there are some others in the, in, the, in the Republican conference who don't want him because he is not, in her view, I guess he's not sufficiently right-wing, he's not sufficiently racist, he's not sufficiently Trump enough to, to garner her support for him to be the speaker, if if they happen to win, I'm I'm hoping they don't win. I hope they lose seats rather than gain seats, so that we can keep this country moving in the right direction. So uh, Kevin McCarthy, I have no sympathy for this guy at all. I mean, he's just um, this is somebody who, after January 6th insurrection, he got on the the House floor and he said almost verbatim, um, Donald Trump bears some responsibility for what happened with this insurrection, with this rioting. Donald Trump deserves to be criticized for that. And boy, the right wing turned on him. He goes down to Mar-a-Lago, he, he begins to kiss his ring, his boots, whatever else he could kiss, and, and came back later and he said, you know, on second thought, Donald Trump didn't have anything to do with that insurrection. No, that was just, that was just some bunch of people who were got out of hand or or the other um, congressman from Georgia said it was just another tourist day. You know, there were there was no no big deal. So and, and of course, all the videos of the violence there, they said no, don't believe that. That just didn't happen. Those were character or crisis actors, and none of that stuff actually happened. So I have no sympathy, uh, none whatsoever for Kevin McCarthy. 
He is a politician who uh, wets his finger, puts it in the air, see which way the wind is blowing, and that's the direction he will go. He has no spine. He has no leadership qualities. He has no soul. Um, he is somebody who uh, yearns for power, and that's all that he wants is power. And he's just like the rest of these people, like like um, Roger Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. I'm convinced that the reason they say these outrageous things and outlandish things is because it helps them with the fundraising. Because they have a whole group of people out there in the country who believe a lot of these, this nonsense, these baseless conspiracy theories, these attacks on people. And, you know, they will they'll write a check and say, yeah, I love your, your extremism. I love that you, you own those libs, that you are just sticking it to them. I'm going to send you a check. So, you know, that, that kind of behavior gets reinforced by the money that they're receiving. So they have to escalate it and become more and more outrageous because they know there's no downside for being outrageous. They know they will earn some money. And I think they, they follow the Sarah Palin <laughs> model, which is, you know, you don't have to be talented. You don't have to be um, have much depth to yourself. You just you just go out and give yourself a platform and the cameras will be there, the microphones will be there, and of course Fox News will be there and they'll just elevate you to uh, this celebrity status and you, you will walk away at some point from this job as a representative uh, with, with a huge bank account. You will just, uh, it will just transform your life. It, never mind the fact that you didn't legislate, you didn't do anything to pass any bills, you didn't do anything to represent your your constituency other than to um, say crazy things. And I mentioned Lauren Boper. She's the representative from Colorado who um, did a very racist thing. And, and of course, people who know her or hear her or see her on television, they're not surprised that she referred to um, Representative Elon Omar from uh, Minnesota um, called her one of the jihad squad. And the term jihad is a loaded term, and it has to do with terrorism, at least those who people, those people who think that that's a Muslim um, term for uh, terrorism. And they, they use that term to describe uh, this Muslim woman, and she is not, she's not a terrorist. And, you know, that didn't matter to Bobert. She was speaking at this, uh, I guess, at a town hall meeting with some of her... Uh, supporters, and she just started telling this story about her being in the elevator with Representative Omar. And she was a, she said she was initially nervous and, and looked at her, but she didn't have a backpack on, so she knew she was safe. And now what that has reference to, it wasn't a very, it wasn't a very subtle way of saying uh, terrorists usually have backpacks with bombs in them or suicide bombs, and she didn't have one, so she must be okay. And this is somebody who is serving as a colleague of hers in the U.S. House of Representatives. And she's going to go there and just use some of the most vile, racist, religious bigotry that she can come up with. And of course, she I don't think she wrote the apology. Probably somebody on her staff wrote it, claiming that she apologized for if anybody in the Muslim community was insulted by her comments. Of course they were insulted. You shouldn't say if. You should say, I was wrong. And I, I shouldn't do anything. I should, I should watch what I say going forward. I should not um, stir people's fury. I should not um, say ugly, divisive things like that. No, she didn't say that. She just said, if I 
insulted anybody, I apologize. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene got, I guess she got mad at Boebert for even apologizing. And she said, we have, uh, you, you should not apologize because uh, you're, you, we should never apologize to, to communists and jihad squads and terrorists. And, and, and again, these are the people who are supposed to be representing their constituents. And maybe they are, maybe their constituents think the same way they think. But I think you take an oath to office, not just to represent your constituency, but you take an oath, an oath to uphold the Constitution and, 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 and by um, implicitly you, you agree to a certain level of decorum when you are operating as a, as a representative. And of course, Paul Gozar from Arizona was their, their hero and somebody that even Kevin McCarthy supported when he had this, this enemy with showing violence, inflicting violence on OAC and, and Biden, you know, just, just some really despicable cartoonish kinds of things. And he never apologized for it. And of course he was censured by the, um, the house and the, which means that Paul Gosar has been stripped of his committee assignments. He is no longer on a committee. And, um, and this guy is a piece of work. Even his family thinks he is, is unhinged. I mean, mo his siblings and, and his relatives, they've just distanced themselves from this guy because he is all in with the QAnon, with the, the right wing, with the Trump stuff. I mean, he is a, he's a card carrying member of the Trump cult. And he's very proud of it, I think. And so, thank goodness the the um, the House of Representatives voted to censure this guy and said, you know, we're not going to put up with this. And I think they need to do the same thing with Lauren Boebert, who has referred to one of her colleagues as a terrorist when when there's that is just way way out of bounds. Well, another thing too that. Um, Donald Trump has, I guess he, he loves the, the limelight so much. He made a statement the other day that Mitch McConnell should resign. Of course, Moscow Mitch and Trump used to be bosom buddies. You know, they, they you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Of course, Trump is the ultimate deal, deal maker and so is McConnell. That's how they got to be who they are and got to be the, and gain the power that they had was, was transactional. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. Well, Trump didn't like the fact that Mitch McConnell had the audacity and the temerity to vote for the infrastructure bill. Now, that was, that was an unpardonable sin for Donald Trump. You voted for infrastructure. And, you know, because <laughs> Mitch McConnell knows that it's going to benefit his state. It's going to benefit the state of Kentucky. It's going to build bridges. It's going to repair bridges. It's going to build highways. It's going to upgrade rail and, 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 and buses and public transportation, airports, all of these things, it's going to improve the quality of life of so many people. And that is something that Mitch McConnell knows is, is something that his constituents voted for him to go and do. Do something for us. Don't just use your, your status as a, as a politician to, to just go on news shows and, and, and talk shows and and, and create a brand for yourself because that's so self-serving. You're not here to serve yourself. You're here to serve our community and our state. And, and in this particular instance, uh, Mitch McConnell said, yeah, I'll, I'll serve the constituents of my state and also do something that's going to improve the quality of life for 
the entire country. Well, Trump didn't like that. Trump doesn't like any anything that might be beneficial to this country if he didn't have anything to do with it. In his mind, in the mind of his sycophants and his uh, enablers and his supporters, is that we can't do anything to give a victory to Joe Biden. And that's where we've come in society with these, these politicians, is that uh, it's a zero-sum game for them. Uh, in their world, if Biden wins, they lose. And if Biden does something to improve the quality of life in this country, that means Republicans lose. And they say, we can't lose, so we cannot support something that, is, that Biden is doing, even though, even though it's good for the country, even if it's good for the country. Our, our narrowness and our parochial thinking and our uh, hatred for Democrats is so profound that they would say, you know, it, it, for them is party over, over good policy. And um, those are the kind of people that Donald Trump likes. Really does. Now, finally, I'm going to talk about uh, the Texas power grid as we're entering the month of December and things are going to start getting cold here in Texas. As we remember back in February of this year, we had this deep freeze and the Texas power grid just did not work. And probably because Texas, a long time ago, uh, decided it wanted to be independent from the rest of the country and not be a party and a partner with all the other power grids across the country. Um, they, I think there were some in the state who just have that, that frontier mentality that we're, we're in it for ourselves and we are tough Texans and we're just going to, we don't need the, the cooperation and partnerships from other parts of the country. But anyway, I was here when that deep freeze happened. I was without power for two or three days and people died uh, from that, uh, over 700,000 people. Um, were affected by all of that, and, and many of them passed away because the people who operated and oversaw the power grid, um, you know, they just, they just didn't do their job. And, and specifically the Texas Railroad Commission here in Texas, which oversees the, uh, the power grid, uh, what we find out is that uh, as soon as this power grid thing went kaput, um, the leaders of the, the um, Railroad Commission, they just went out on TV, on the national TV, local TV, saying that this, the only reason this happened is because uh, we were putting money into alternative energy sources like solar, and that um, it wasn't the fault of the natural gas um, industry, um, even though the natural gas industry refused to weatherize and update their equipment and their, all of the, the processes they used to stay up to date and be prepared for these kinds of catastrophic events. That was what caused this. But this, there were people on the Railroad Commission who said, no, that wasn't it. We're, we're putting too much money in this green um, uh, economy thing. We're putting too much money in solar, and that's the reason. And, and solar is not a huge industry in this state, but they needed a scapegoat, and they could not bring themselves to um, place blame where it is. And, and here's the reason why. Because members of the Railroad Commission, uh, many of them have stock in the fossil fuel industry. They have uh, stock in natural gas companies. And these are people who are elected to regulate, to provide oversight, um, to make sure you know, the deep freeze power grid breakdown does not happen. And they, they really don't care. The best thing they came up with, folks, is um, they said to these power companies, you need to upgrade your system. But if you 
want to apply for an exemption so you don't have to do this, just pay $150 and you uh, will give you a waiver and you don't have to upgrade anything. So, you know, I'm in the market right now to get me a, a generator because if we have anything like we had last, uh, this past winter, it's going to be a mess. And I think there will be people who will, um, will lose their lives. Unfortunately, they will be terribly disadvantaged, uh, inconvenienced. People can't go to work. People can't stay warm. People who depend on the power sources for, for medical devices are going to be, um, their lives are going to be put in peril. Their health will be put in peril. And uh, Greg Abbott and his gang, they, they really don't care. Uh, they have to check with the fossil fuel industry leaders to find out what do y'all want to do. If you don't want to do it, we're not going to make you do it. And the only um, leverage we have is, you know, you got to do it or you have to apply for an exemption. And that exemption will only cost you $150. And I'm not exaggerating that people, it's $150. So anyway, that's enough of my ranting for today. I'm delighted to be back in the saddle again, be back here in front of this microphone and sharing with you some of my thoughts. I have so many more things I want to share with you. We're coming up on the, the Christmas holidays. I hope everybody had a, had a very blessed Thanksgiving and you were able to spend time with your loved ones and your friends and those people who, who bring joy to your life and and be thankful for the many blessings that you have received and will continue to receive. Many of those blessings we didn't earn, we didn't merit those, but uh, the Creator has um, blessed us anyway. And we just need to be thankful um, to, our, to, to our God, and we need to be thankful to our family and friends, all those people who, who bring joy to our lives. Let's, let's make sure we remember them. And as we approach the, the Christmas season, or the holiday season. Of course, you know, they're, the right wing is already out saying that, you know, people can't say Merry Christmas. <laughs> you, know, you can say Merry Christmas, but you know, there are people who are upset when they hear people say uh, Happy Holidays because they think uh, Christmas is the only holiday that should be celebrated with us. Hanukkah and there's some, some um, other religious uh, recognitions going on at that time. Oh, and by the way, did you, uh, this is really the last thing I wanted to say. I think it was um, Michael Flynn. Yeah, it was Michael Flynn. He was the, the former um, national security advisor to uh, Donald Trump. And, of course, he, he had to resign his position because he was doing some things illegal and with representing being a representative of a foreign nation, he didn't tell anybody, so he ended up losing his job. He lied to Congress about it, and he ended up being convicted for telling some lies. And, and of course, Donald Trump pardoned him because he was a big supporter of Donald Trump. He helped spread the the lies about the um, the steal the uh, stop the steal that that campaign that they operated. And um, but anyway, what um, what Michael Flynn said the other day is that. The Pledge of Allegiance says one nation under God, and he likes that. But he also thinks there ought to be one God in this nation, one religion in this nation. And in his mind, we should Christianity should be the only religion in this country, the only worship, the only religion that people should worship. And here's somebody who took an oath to support 
uh, the Constitution of the United States when he was in the military, is now ready to throw the Constitution out and say, uh, there is a religious test for whether or not you, you, you belong in this country, whether or not you can run for office, all those things that just are so undemocratic. And that's the thing that we have to remember is that some of these people don't believe in democracy anymore. They don't believe in the Constitution anymore. And I think it's partly because democracy, as they saw it back in the 40s and 50s and, you know, back when, um, you know, the, the days when black people knew their places and white people knew their places, you know, that's the time they want to return to. And folks, that, those times, they're not going to go back there again. And, and they, just, they just yearn for that, for that moment, if they could just push that button and go back to those times. Well, what these people want is, um, is again, it's so undemocratic. It, it's a push toward authoritarianism. And I think they want a theocracy, quite honestly. And a theocracy is, is something what you might find in Iran or some of these um, countries where there is no distinction between religion and government. The government is religion and religion is the government. There is no separation there. There are people who want to bring that level of theocracy to this country so that only Christians can be involved in leadership in this country. And not just any Christian, but you have to be of a certain type of Christian belief. Uh, you can't be a progressive Christian. You have to be a conservative Christian. You have to be somebody who, who toes a line on the Jim Baker, um, Paula White, those, those right-wing evangelists who, who just um, wrap their arms around Donald Trump. And, and those are the kinds of people that I think Michael Flynn wants to see. And that's the kind of version of Christianity Michael Flynn says we should pledge our allegiance to. And he is not kidding, folks. He is not just blowing smoke. These people really, really, really want to see this happen. But we have to go to the polls. We have to vote. We have to be vigilant. And we have to send a message to these people that democracy is here to stay. The Constitution is, is going to be here to stay. We're not going to allow you to turn this country into a theocracy. We're not going to let you turn it into a tyrannical authoritarian government and, and just allow you to just trample on the rights of, um, of people. So anyway, that's the last of my rant. I'm going to say goodbye. Have a good one, and I'll see you again soon.